be in Exodus chapter 13 is where we're going to start at. Exodus chapter 13. Uh, when, uh, of course, uh, uh, we, we obviously, I think all of you knew that, we were gone last week and the uh, Lord allowed us to take that trip. And when I was there, uh, man, just everything I saw uh, was uh, very, um, uh, just uh, hard to describe. And you know, you know how it is. You've been someplace, you try to describe it. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the Apostle John when God took him to heaven and he had to try to describe that, right? And he just, you know, you could tell he struggles to try to find the words. Uh, but uh, when we were there uh, last week, uh, all throughout the week, uh, there were so many amazing things that we got to experience. And you know how we preachers are. We're always looking for a sermon out of about everything we do. And so the Lord gave me a message that I want to share with you uh, that I'm going to entitle this, Lessons from the Last Friday. Frontier, and just share share with you some spiritual things the Lord taught me on our trip last week, and then at the end of the message, I'm going to show you a slideshow of some things that we got to see. And so, but if you find your place, Exodus chapter 13. And um, when I was praying about this message, uh, y'all can go ahead and stand. It's all. Did I say that? What I say? Oh, if I want. Oh, sorry. It's, it's already flowing, man. It's already coming. I got to calm down a little bit. Amen. So much wants to come out. Okay. Yes, please stand. Uh, but our passage here, Exodus chapter 13, is the passage where uh, Israel was coming out of the wilderness. And so let's read this, verses 17 through 22. The Bible says, And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones away hence with you. And they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Let's pray. Lord, we do love you today. Thank you for allowing us to be in your house. Now, Lord, speak to us, we pray, through your word this morning. I pray that you'd help us, you'd teach us, Lord. Uh, you would uh, just impart your wisdom to us, God. We need to hear from you. And Lord, I pray that we would leave here better than when we came. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Noticed here in the passage I read to you twice, it talks about how the fact that God led them, it says in verse 18, through the way of the wilderness. And God on purpose had to take Israel the way He took them because there were some things He needed to teach them and the best place to teach them was the wilderness. And uh, you know sometimes in life, folks, uh, God will take us through the wildernesses of life to teach us things. Things that, you know what, we got to get away from the hustle and bustle. we got to get away from people. we got to kind of get away from all the craziness of life. Get out where God's at, amen? And He's everywhere, of course. Uh, but uh, get away from... Uh, the distractions so we can learn some things. We see this was also true of the Apostle Paul. You don't have to turn there, but let me read these verses to you in Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace 
to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them that were the apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again into Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. And Paul here is telling us how that God prepared him to be the apostle Paul. A lot of times people don't realize this, but shortly after Paul got saved, uh, the Bible says that uh, God took him to Arabia. Well, what do you know about Arabia? All right, look on the map. You know what you find? Desert. Amen? A wilderness. And Paul went to the wilderness. We could say Bible college. Amen? God took him there for three years and taught him and trained him personally, discipled him, just as Jesus did with his apostles when he was here. Isn't that interesting? Jesus spent about three years with his apostles, and God, and I believe Jesus, spent about three years with Paul, getting him ready to be that twelfth apostle, where he could go out and then do the uh, God's will for his life. But the point I'm trying to make is this. Sometimes God got to get you away to teach you some things. And I'll just tell you this, where we were at last week was a wilderness. It was a wilderness. And uh, there, it, it, now we, did, uh, we were in some cities, but what's interesting about there, once you leave the city limits, all right, get outside the city, you're immediately in wilderness. And uh, it was such a, a neat thing. And so they, these are some things I want to share with you that God taught me and uh, lessons from the last frontier. All right. Number one, here's the first thing God taught me was this, that He is an awesome Creator. Amen. Man, he's an awesome creator. Now, here's the thing. You don't have to go to Alaska to experience this. Right now, when you walk outside, I love this time of year, by the way. I love springtime. You know why? Because everything's coming back to life. That's why. By the way, it's a picture of what we're about to celebrate here in the next couple weeks, the the resurrection of our Savior, and things that were dead come back to life. And and, and truth be told, all points of God's creation point to Him. Amen? And you don't have to go to Alaska to see this, but there is something about going someplace you've never seen before and seeing scenery uh, that you don't normally get to see on a daily basis. I mean, you know, you walk out my door and yeah, there's a mountain all right. It's a mountain of a gob pile right there on the other side of Highway 41 called the coal mine, right? Let me tell you, uh, Brother Gary, you probably helped put that there, didn't you? Amen. Hey, listen, we saw some uh, mountains all right, but they sure weren't gob piles. Here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1. Listen to this. Because that when, uh, w- because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them, for the invisible things of Him, listen to this, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Listen to me, folks. Let me tell you what all these the, the, the beauties and wonders of nature teach us. You know what they teach us? That there's a God in heaven. Amen? Yep. I mean, you've got to have a hard heart of unbelief to be able to look at this creation and think, man, that just, that just came from some you know, cosmic collision of, of some cosmic dust one day. I mean, you know what? It takes, truth be told, more faith to believe in evolution than it does the fact that, God of, the, that the very God of the universe created everything. Amen? Man, I'm going to tell you, folks, uh, God is an awesome creator. 
Of course, when we, uh, we didn't get to see anything from the airplane because we landed at night and we took off uh, when it was still dark. But man, as soon as uh, it got day and we started scoping out the scenery, my goodness, uh, some amazing things there. Uh, right outside of Anchorage where we were at, uh, there are some mountain ranges that are, that are clearly visible. They call them uh, the Alaskan Range, which is to the north and the home of North America's tallest peak, Mount McKinley. And I think they may have changed that name, but most everybody still calls it that, calls it that. And uh, we didn't actually get to see that uh, because we didn't go to, to that particular park, if it, the sky would have been a little bit more clear, we could we could have seen it from the highway. Uh, but man, that whole mountain range through there is just absolutely beautiful. Not only did we see the the beautiful mountains, and I'll show you some pictures in just a minute, but we also got to see a glacier. We saw the largest what they call a land glacier, and uh, it was uh, in a valley of these mountains, and uh, it was uh, 27 miles long and four miles wide. And it's the largest glacier accessible by car in the United States. And uh, we got to drive to the edge of that and get our picture taken with that in the background. And then we made the trip from uh, Anchorage up to Fairbanks. And that was about a 365-mile drive, about a a six-and-a-half-hour drive. And I'll just say this, that was probably one of the most beautiful drives I've ever been on. And as you drive and and head north, oh, my goodness, all the mountain ranges and and snow-covered mountains. And we drove through Denali National Park. And uh, I mean, literally, you're driving right beside these just towering uh, mountains and these and these sheer cliffs. And man, you talk about a beautiful sight. Now, we didn't personally get to see them, but on uh, uh, Sunday night, some of the group uh, drove outside of Fairbanks. And I didn't know this, but Fairbanks is the world's best place to see the northern lights. Uh, the way that uh, the lights show up and and marches about the peak time to see them. We were there in the peak time. Some of the uh, uh, guys drove out on Sunday night and. They got some pretty good pictures of the lights. Uh, we actually uh, tried to go out on uh, Monday night and see him, but we weren't able to see him because of the cloud cover. But some of them did. And you talk about beautiful, the pictures that we saw. And here's what I got to thinking, folks, is I saw this beautiful part of God's creation. And, and there were many other things, but it's just hard to put them into words. But you know what? If the things here on this fallen earth are this beautiful, can you imagine what the new heaven and the new earth are going to look like? I mean, folks, this earth in its fallen state is just all striking. Amen? And you know what? That's after we as mankind messed it up. Could you imagine what it was like in its perfect state before sin came along? And you don't think one of these days we're not going to be able to experience that again? Amen? No wonder the Bible says that this earth's not our home. Amen? And we ought to have a pilgrim's mentality. I'm going to tell you, folks, the beauties of what awaits us, uh, there is no description. But man, what a, what a beautiful thing that points to our awesome Creator. And anytime I see things in nature, and not just things I saw in Alaska, but, but things that I see when I travel other places, and, and even living here in, in beautiful southern Indiana, you know what it just makes me want to do? It just makes me want to take a few minutes and lift my, 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 my eyes toward heaven and just, just spend some time praising our wonderful God. Amen? And the beautiful things that He allows us to experience. So lesson number one, God is an awesome Creator. Number two, here's the second thing God taught me, was that there's still a remnant of good Christians all across the land. There is still a remnant of good Christians all across the land. You know, sometimes as Christians, we get what I call the Elijah Syndrome. And we, we tend to sometimes think that we're the only ones left that still want to love and serve God. 
In fact, the Bible describes this in 1 Kings chapter 9 and verse 10. Here's what Elijah said to God. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. You know, uh, Elijah started thinking that nobody else, God, I'm it, I'm the only one. But here's what God said to his prophet, Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees of which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which have not kissed him, even in the time of dark apostasy in the nation of Israel. And yes, Elijah was vocal. And yes, Elijah was on the front line. But guess what? He wasn't the only one. And let me just say this, folks. You know what? All across this land are solid, good Christians who love God. Amen? And man, we got to meet a great group of people. And uh, we, uh, the, the, the reason we went out there was to go to the men's retreat. And this men's retreat has been going on there in Alaska for, for about 30 years. And it really was kind of uh, put together just for the, you know, the, the pastors and men in Alaska. And then we lower 48ers decide to come and, and mess it up a little bit, right? Uh, but uh, there really aren't too many people outside of Alaska that come to this thing. Uh, but uh, uh, we were able to go to it, and uh, we went up to this uh, camp up in the mountains, right out of sight of, um, uh, I'm trying to think of that name, uh, the t- that town we were in, but right out of sight of a town up in the mountains uh, in Alaska. And you know what? We're gathered there, 240 men and young men, mainly of them from Alaska. By the way, Alaska is one of the most sparsely populated states compared to land um, uh, capacity. And so here we were up in the mountains. And you know what? Man, these Christian men, and not just Christian men, but man, some, some very choice servants of God. Now, I'll just say this. If you're going to minister in Alaska, you've got to have some toughness about you. That is a tough place to minister. Man, we got to meet some neat people. we got to meet a man named Brother Pinnock. Brother Pinnock uh, has a ministry that's called Rural Alaska Missions. Now, we think we live in a rural area, and we do. But we have no idea what rural truly is until you see what these guys do. Brother Pinnock, he's trying to uh, take the gospel to areas that you just can't get to very easily. In fact, his, uh, his choice of, of gospel-taking vehicles are either snow machines, boats, or airplanes. And he told us the story of where he was one day flying in his airplane over a very remote area, and he saw a cabin that he'd never noticed before. No roads whatsoever. A cabin in the middle of the wilderness. So he, he saved the, the location on his GPS unit as he flew over. And then when he got back to where he was going, he hopped on his snow machine. Listen to this took a two-day trip through the wilderness to get to one cabin. Went there, knocked on the door. person come to the door and uh, opened the door for him, uh, told him who he was, what he was doing, gave him the, the information, and before he could go any further, shut the door. And that was it. He traveled two to four days on a snow machine. Now, when we say snow machine, we think it's fun. Let me just say this, all right? Yeah, if initially it's fun, but I'm going to tell you right now, I wouldn't want to ride two days on one. I can tell you that. Or four days, actually. But you know what? He rode through the wilderness just to get the gospel to one cabin. All they did was open the door and take the information. But you know what? He thought it was worth it to at least get the gospel to that door. Amen? And that's just one of the uh, types of ministry or stories he has as he's trying to reach rural Alaska with the gospel. 
We know we met another man named uh, Israel Warren, and uh, Brother Warren he uh, pastors on the far western side of Alaska in a little town called Saint Mary, population five hundred ninety nine. Little Berg, and, and truth be told, it's a native village. And there are a lot of native people that live in Alaska. Uh, not just Eskimos, but other native groups live there. And he uh, is in a small little town of 599. His church building looks like a single wide trailer. Uh, it's about, uh, he told me the dimensions, but, you know, like maybe uh, 18 by 56 or whatever. And him and his family live in half of it. And the other half is the church. And Brother Warren has been up there for several years reaching those native folks. Get this, before COVID hit, his little church up there in a town of 599 was running 60. That'd be like running 600 here. I mean, a small little town. And uh, he had his arm in his sling. And I asked him what happened to him. And he said, well, he says, I was helping pickaxe graves. And my I messed my shoulder up. I said, really? He says, yeah. He says that the native custom is, is that you've got to bury people a minimum of six foot deep. He said, the problem is everything's frozen permafrost tundra. He says, it took 10 men working in 10 minute shifts, 10 hours to dig one grave. But yet, you know what? He's up there helping minister. And he said they end up digging six of those graves in a period of a week. And so, you know what? That's the type of, of, of man he was. And you know what, again, folks, a place where nobody's ever heard of, I've never heard of, small handful of people, but praise God, there's someone that loves those people enough, amen, to go and minister where it's not easy, where it's hard, because people everywhere need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Met Brother Tim Page. Uh, Brother Tim Page, believe it or not, is a huger. In fact, Brother Page is from Linton, where I'm from. And Brother Page took off and went to Alaska in the 70s, and guess what? He's still there. Been ministering up there for over 40 years, reaching people, loving people. Uh, started some churches. Now uh, he pastored a church for, for many years. Now it's hell's to the point where he can't pastor. But he's still there helping, serving, reaching people. Amen. I mean, we met men planting churches. We met missionaries. We met preachers loving God, serving God. Hey, doing what we ought to be doing, so, uh, uh, reaching people. Amen. What a blessing that was to see that group of people. That was at the men's retreat. Saturday we left and we drove up uh, to Fairbanks. And uh, we, we drove up there uh, for a couple reasons. Number one uh, was because our trip down south, uh, that, that got canceled. We weren't able to go fishing out in the ocean. Plus, we wanted to go up and be a part of the Bible Baptist Church in Fairbanks. Now, let me just say this, folks. That was an amazing place. It's the largest uh, independent Baptist church in Alaska, man, up in Fairbanks. And uh, that church has been going now for uh, over 30, 40 years and uh, pastored by Pastor uh, Brother Doug Duffett. Uh, Brother Duffett, believe it or not, is from Boston. I mean, how does a guy from Boston get to Fairbanks, Alaska? And uh, But right out of Bible college, God called him there, and he's been there, been faithful, serving God. You talk about a phenomenal church. Amen? Uh, here's what the church up in Fairbanks is known for. And by the way, not just that church. Most of the churches in Alaska, they're known for their hospitality. In fact, when Christians go uh, to 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 uh, uh, to Alaska and they make contact and tell them they're up, uh, tell them tell them that you're coming, they roll out the red carpet and take care of people up there. All the churches work together; they're kind of interconnected. They give you vehicles to drive. 
Uh, they'll, they'll have a vehicle for you where you don't have to rent one. They'll have a place for you to stay. They'll take care of you. When we got up there from Saturday night all the way through when we left on, on Tuesday, uh, the, the church was there to, uh, and truth be told, most of the time, uh, there was about 20 in our group. They bought our meals for us. You think about that. Now, now, at some point, we're like, no, we're going to take care of this. But men, they were so hospitable. Uh, they, they, they're known for their hospitality. But I'll tell you something else they're known for. The church in Fairbanks is known for their missions program. Now, praise God, I feel like we've got a great missions program. But man, they inspired me. Here's a church. Now, they are running probably about 450 people, so it's a good-sized church. They're supporting 186 missionaries. When you walk in that church... All the walls in the foyer, all the walls throughout the, uh, the, the, the building are covered with missions letters. By the way, some of the missionaries we support, they support. And you know what? They're, you know how much they gave to missions last year? Get this, $1.4 million to missions. Now listen, folks, we're not comparing ourselves to what they're doing, but man, what an inspiration, amen? A church, and, and it's not, not a mega church per se, but they, they love reaching people, they love missionaries, and what a blessing to go and experience that. Monday, uh, the church has a ministry where they go and for one hour, they carry protest signs in front of the local abortion clinic. And uh, we were able to join them and uh, help uh, march against that sin of abortion. Already they've shut down one clinic in the town of Fairbanks just from being out there. In fact, here's what the, here's what the people said to him uh, when they were out. Of course, you know, when you start doing stuff like that, they're going to call the law on you. It's amazing. Uh, people can, you know, do that in a violent manner and uh, loot and riot, and everybody just thinks that's normal. But you get a bunch of Christians out there marching for something that really matters, and all of a sudden you're the troublemakers, right? But uh, the one abortion clinic that they helped shut down, here's what the people said. They're like, we didn't really mind you out marching, but what really started affecting this is when you started praying. And they're like, you know what, that, that's, uh, that's kind of what led to this clinic shutting down. Uh, but uh, we were out marching in front of the, the, the abortion clinic, and uh, uh, in the last few weeks, or, or maybe it's been a few months, uh, they, they've been able to uh, keep two women from getting abortions. And one of the ladies that uh, did not end up keeping her baby ended up coming to church. She got saved. Her family got saved. You know why? Because Christians do what they're supposed to be doing, being salt and light. Amen? Being the moral conscience of the community. And what an awesome thing to be a part of as we were out marching there in the snow, amen, uh, in front of that abortion clinic. Not only do they um, uh, does, does the church up there help, of course, in missions, but they've really, really been um, a burden to help with what's going on in Ukraine. They have some missionaries that are in Ukraine. In fact, one of our missionaries that we support that's there is some of the missionaries they support that's there. And they sent, get this, four of their young men. I'm talking about young men in their 20s. And these young men flew over there to help the missionaries with the relief effort going on in Ukraine. By the way, you know what? And again, this, this is just speaks of their generosity and their, um, their willingness to help. But those young men, through the, through the offerings of the church, those young men were able to take, and because of the crisis, banks weren't open, but they were able to take uh, briefcases with $10,000 each into Ukraine to help the missionaries. It took $40,000 cash into Ukraine 
to help these missionaries with the relief efforts. And uh, there's churches all over the U.S. helping through the Bible Baptist Church in Fairbanks with the relief effort going on in Ukraine. And man, just again, what a blessing it was to see those Christians up there uh, uh, you know, living in a place that, truth be told, is pretty hard to live. But loving God, serving God. Let me say this, church. I believe the only reason why America hasn't been decimated by the judgment of God is because of the remnant of salt and light. Amen? Let me think about this for a minute. Back in Genesis chapter 19, when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, do you know the reason God destroyed them? Now, at first we'd say, oh yeah, of course, the sin of sodomy. Well, that's why God was going to judge him uh, originally, but that's not why the fire and brimstone fell. You know, God was willing to withhold the fire and brimstone of judgment had there been ten righteous people in those cities. And you know what? He couldn't find ten righteous people. That's why the judgment of God fell. And folks, let me just say this. You know what? It does matter how we live. It does matter that we're trying to be the Christians God has for us to be. You know why? Because we're the preserving factor of a nation. That's why. Amen? Amen. And I believe the only reason God hasn't destroyed us yet, and we deserve it, amen, just the sin of abortion alone, this country deserves the judgment of God, is because still scattered across America are churches just like White River Baptist Church, just like Bible Baptist Church, that are loving people, serving people, and trying to make a difference for the cause of Jesus Christ, amen? So what a wonderful thing as I was able to experience that and, uh, and to be encouraged about the remnant of good Christians. Number three, here's what else. The Lord taught me the importance of staying on the path. The importance of staying on the path. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Now, why is it important to stay on the path? Well, as I told you, Monday we were supposed to go fishing, but that didn't work out because of the uh, of the weather. So we went to Fairbanks, and uh, instead of going fishing, we decided to go snowmobiling. Now, we say snowmobiling up here. You don't say that up in Alaska because they look at you like you're a moron. You know what you say? Snow machine, all right? That's what they say up there. And so we took a midnight run on snow machines uh, to try to see the northern lights. And we took off at 1030. We got back at 2 a.m. And we were able to ride through the night. And we, we did not see the lights. Uh, but, man, we had a great time riding. Well, we were following the guide. He was taking us. And we were, we were driving through the woods, following these paths. And here's what he told us. He says, now listen, he's like, make sure you stay on the hard packed path. He says, because if you get off and you're not experienced, he's like, it's not going to go well for you. So just stay on the path. So we were driving and I was in the rear following everybody and we were getting ready to go through this uh, portion of woods. And I, and I don't know exactly what happened, but my front uh, right ski got off the path and the snow was about three foot deep on the either side of me. And, and that, when that ski got off the path, that snow machine decided to be a bunky bronco and threw me right off. And uh, I didn't know what happened to happen so fast. Fortunately, fortunately, uh, it didn't crash into a tree, all right? It just kind of went up beside the tree. It didn't flip over anything. It just flipped me off. And you know why it flipped me off? Because I got off the path. I didn't stay where I was supposed to stay. And you know what? I got to thinking about that. Immediately, as soon as that happened, I thought, man, there's a sermon here. Amen? <laughs> and uh, the sermon is, you're a dummy, stay on the path, right? But no, I got to thinking, man, isn't that true in life? 
You know, you know when we as, as Christians get in trouble? Notice what the Bible said in Proverbs 4.27. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. By the way, most of the time when we get in trouble, it's because we're going left, which speaks of things we shouldn't do. But you know you also can go too far right. You know, folks, here's the thing. The Bible is hard enough to live as it is. Why are we trying to be more strict than God? I'm not interested in, in, in coming up with a bunch of, you know, fangled rules that everybody has to keep. No, I'm interested in just sticking to the Bible, amen, amen. sticking to the path, yep. staying with what the Word of God says. So let me just say this. You know what? you got to stay on the path. Now, how do you stay on the path? Well, this ought to go without saying you got to follow the guide. Now listen, we could have rented snow machines and done our own trip, but the problem is, number one, you know, we live in Indiana. We don't get that much snow. We're not used to riding in that kind of snow, that deep snow. Plus, we didn't know the area. I'll just tell you this. It would have been a lot more dangerous had we not had a guide. By the way, you know what the guide's there for? Because they know the path. They've been there. They've lived there. They know the conditions. They know how the things are supposed to work. And so as long as you follow the guide, you're probably going to be okay. Not only that, you know how else you stay on the path? How about this? Use your light. Now, we went at night. Okay, the only reason we could go at night is because on the front of those snow machines were big old bright headlights that illuminated the direction we were going. That's why the Bible says this, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I'm going to tell you something. You know what, folks? We need the word of God to help illuminate the path we're to be on in this thing called life. Because I'm going to tell you, you know what? Fortunately, I didn't get hurt. I could have got hurt. I didn't get hurt. But you know what? Spiritually speaking, you get off the path to the left or to the right, you might face plant into a tree the devil's got right there, and you could hurt yourself really bad as a Christian. So, hey, how about this? Just stay on the path. Amen? Stay on the path. The importance of staying on the path. Number four, here's what else God taught me. Uh, appreciation. Gave me an appreciation for Christian men. An appreciation for Christian men. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Thou therefore, my son, uh, Paul, of course, is writing to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Now, ladies, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk just for a minute uh, to the men. Amen? And so uh, you can sit there and listen, uh, but, uh, but I'm going to talk to the men for a minute. By the way, let me just say this, all right? Ladies, thank you for being who you are. Amen? Let me tell you, there is, there, there is nothing more valuable than a Christian lady. I'm so thankful our church is filled with Christian ladies. And ladies, listen, you are not second-class citizens. Amen? You are very important to God. You're very important to this church. Amen? I'll tell you what, I'd be a mess without the Christian woman God gave me. I can just tell you that. Amen? In fact, one of the reasons I was glad to get back home, because guess who wasn't there with me? Amen? And so uh, I'm very thankful for you, Christian ladies. But let me just say this. God's plan for leadership is through men. All throughout the Scripture, that's God's plan. And uh, we, we saw that at the men that were at the conference. We saw that at Brother Duffett's church there were men. By the way, you know what you see when you look around this church? Praise God, you see some men. Amen? You know why a lot of churches are dying out? Because when you walk in the door, you know what you don't see? You don't see men and you don't see youth. And you know, again, folks, I'm not, not downplaying anybody. Everybody's important at whatever stage of life you're in. But come on, folks, it just makes sense. If things are going to grow, you've got to have the youth there. And you know what? If a church is going to grow, it's got to have some men there. Amen? You know how many churches would love to have a group of uh, like we have here at White River Baptist Church? 
I mean, folks, listen, we have the perfect cross-section of, of every age group. Amen? And by the way, that's the sign of a healthy church. Alright? I'm going to tell you something, folks. Thank God when you walk in this church, you see a healthy cross-section of every age group. But man, let me say this. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming. Thank you for bringing your families. Amen? Now listen, we want everybody. But I'm going to just say this. It's a man's job to lead his family in the spiritual direction they ought to be going. Daddies, it's your job to lead your family to the church house. Amen? It's your job to spiritually set the direction your home's going to go. And let me say this. I'm thankful for the men God has given us here at White River Baptist Church. It's a privilege for me to call you, uh, uh, for, for me to be your pastor. And I'm thankful for that. And I appreciate you. Now that I bragged on you for a minute, let me challenge you. Amen? Men and young men, listen to me. We need to be the kind of men God wants for us to be. Not men according to the world standard, but men according to the standard set in the King James Holy Bible sitting in your lap. Amen? By the way, hopefully you got one with you because you ought to bring your Bible to church. Men that love God, men that love their wives, men that love their children enough to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Men that know how to stand against the wiles of the devil. Men that know how to not give in to every stupid temptation the devil brings their way. Men that have the courage to say what they should say and the wisdom to not say what they shouldn't say. Men that lead their families and do right whether someone is watching or not. And men, listen to me, that's the kind of biblical men we need to be. Amen? Let me say this, God holds us as Christians, especially as Christian men, to a high standard. By the way, well, He should. Amen? And let's, by God's grace, let's, let's live up to that standard. Not, per, not perfect, but how about this? Consistent. Amen? Not perfect, but consistent. And here is the second part of that verse in 2 Timothy uh, when he told him to uh, teach thou uh, to, uh, to faithful men uh, to the things that he had been taught. Notice what the next verse is saying. Thou therefore, alright, this is written to men, amen, endure hardness, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now listen, man, we can't afford to have meltdowns every time things don't go our way. We can't afford to lose it spiritually. We can't afford to get mad at God and, and start accusing Him every time things isn't perfect in our lives. No, let me tell you what men do. They learn to endure hardness. Amen? As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that a warth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. If a man also strive for the masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. Let me just say this, men. We have a responsibility to our families, to our children, to our future generations, to our church, but more importantly, to our God, to be the men he'd have for us to be. So let me challenge you in that area. And uh, uh, praise the Lord for the men God has given us here. And uh, you know what we saw a lot of when we were in Alaska? A lot of Christian men. Amen? And wow, that did my heart good. And then last of all, let me share this with you. The last thing the Lord taught me was this. There's no place like home. No place like home. In one week's time, according, uh, including our air travel, we traveled 9,000 miles. That's a lot of miles. If you consider the diameter of the earth from pole to pole is only 7,900 miles, we literally traveled. It's like traveling from the North Pole to the South Pole and more. Okay? That's how many miles we traveled. Now listen, I loved it. I'm thankful I got to do it. Lord willing, I'm going to play to, uh, plan on doing it again. But let me say this. As beautiful as Alaska was, it's not home. It's not home. You know, it really hit me how much I missed home in two ways. Number one is when I woke up by myself as a freight train come barreling through our cabin. Oh, wait a minute. That was Kyle snoring. Amen. That wasn't a freight train. 
That was Brother Kyle back there. Miss Casey, you better get him checked out. Amen. No wonder, you know, if you can sleep through that, Miss Casey, then you can sleep through anything. Amen. Wow. No, I woke up by myself, and guess what? You know why it wasn't home? Because someone wasn't with me. Amen. And I missed her. And I'm thankful I got to come back to her. But number two, you know how else I knew it wasn't home? When I got up Sunday morning, and I wasn't here with you. I wasn't doing on Sunday. I wasn't uh, what I normally uh, like doing. I wasn't with my people. I wasn't preaching from my pulpit. I wasn't doing what God created for me to do. I'm so thankful for the place God's called me to be, for the people God has sent me to minister to, and for this church that's considered family. And you know what? Sometimes uh, uh, you don't realize uh, how good it is until you're not there to experience it. And I'll be honest with you, I enjoyed every part of it, but there was a part of me that was still right back here. Amen? And, and you know what, folks? I, I, I actually, I genuinely feel sorry for people who don't have a good church family. I feel sorry for people like that. You know, as, as I thought about home and how much I missed it, you know what else I got to thinking about? How much as, as Christians our attitude ought to be toward heaven? You know, I mean, here's what the Bible says, okay? And we need to have the right mentality about our time here on earth. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, listen, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That ought to be our mentality as Christians. Amen? Here's what the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.11. Again, the same thing. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims. You know what those, that, those words are talking about? The word stranger means a guest. It means an alien. Pilgrims means a resident foreigner. You know what he's telling us as Christians? Hey, Christian, don't get too attached to this place because this is not the permanent dwelling. Amen? You're just sojourning. You're just a passing through. I understand that God plants us in places and puts us in areas to, to reach those uh, places and to f- fulfill uh, our, uh, His will for our lives. I understand that. And you know what? Uh, t- to some extent, that, that's the way it ought to be. I mean, uh, there's something about consistency that helps us in our life. But here's the thing, even as a Christian, you know what? We've got to be so careful not to get attached to this world system that we lose uh, a sight of what's to come. Amen? Because I'm going to tell you this, folks. We're going to live there way longer than we're living here. Man, life is just boom, just like that. I mean, you blink a couple times, and I know you young people think it's never going to get here, but it will get here, I promise you. You blink a couple times, and here you are in your 20s, and you start having kids, and and your daughter goes getting married on you, amen? Let's start having grandkids. I thought I was going to have one in nine months, but it was April Fool's Day. Yeah, ask me about that one later, okay? Man, your kids get married, you have grandkids. Before you know it, guess what? You're not young anymore, right? And uh, life passes you by, and before you know it, <clears throat> here you are near 70, and by God's grace... Maybe you make it past that. Folks, listen, that's the way life works. It's just, it's just literally, it's just like, just like we did. Our trip to Alaska. We were there. We enjoyed it. But guess what? It came. It, it gone. It's in the rear view mirror. And guess what? It's history now. And that's the way our lives are. So, what are we to do as Christians? Well, number one, make sure heaven's your home. Amen? Make sure you're saved. Make sure that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. But then this, as a Christian, Make sure that your 
heart is more in your heavenly home than your earthly home? Have you ever seen the, I'm sure some of you probably even have this in your home. I know my, my mom did growing up, a sign or a, or a doormat or something that said this, home is where the heart is. Seen that before? And you ever think about what that's talking about? Amen. Well, as Christians, guess where our heart ought to be, or what the Bible says our affections ought to be. Amen. Set your affections where? On things above, not on things on this earth. And so those are the things the Lord taught me from the last frontier, that God's an awesome creator, that there's still a remnant of good Christians all across the land, the importance of staying on the path, uh, thanking God for Christian men, and that there's no place like home. Let's pray.